Hello and welcome to Meet Him, the newest addition to Virtual Inforum. My name is Terry Barclay and I'm president and CEO of Inforum, a nonprofit whose work includes highlighting and supporting diversity in business leadership. The Meet Him podcast series introduces listeners to male leaders who share what they've learned about the value of diverse leadership in their companies and in their own leadership journeys. And I am just so delighted that joining me today is Marcelo Conti, Director, Global Purchasing and Supply Chain, Chassis and Body Structures at General Motors. He also sits on the board of GM's Latino Network and is an active member of GM's Ally Network. Marcelo's rich leadership background includes significant roles at both NetJets and Rolls-Royce prior to GM. Welcome, Marcelo, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Terry. Uh, so happy to be here with you. <laughs> so we'll we'll just jump right jump right in. Yeah. What are the challenges and opportunities companies face in being intentional about gender diversity? Hmm. I think I'd mention a couple that in my mind raised the top. I think in terms of challenges, um, visibility and accountability for gender diversity goals. Uh, as leaders, I think we're very used to devising strategies and executing towards the hard metrics aspects of the scope of our responsibility. It's not necessarily the case with diversity goals in general, or in this case, specifically gender diversity. Uh, so, and as a result, I don't think we create the same level of visibility to these goals in the context or rationale for why they exist in the first place. So as a result, I think we fail to hold ourselves as accountable for achieving them with the same level of urgency and rigor that we do with other business metrics, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes complete sense. Um, and I'm kind of curious because I think there's certainly in North America, in the United States, there's, there's a lot of uh, controversy often associated with having metrics attached to this subject. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that if I were, if, if I were asking myself this question, <laughs> I think I, I think I would say, you know, that, that that's part, part of the challenge. Have you seen that? Uh, is that a factor? Do you think? It is a factor. Uh, and I've worked in different countries, as you know, in Brazil and in the United Kingdom, I don't think it's different and there is not a one size fits all strategy, right? So different right. cultures, different companies, will adopt different strategies for dealing with this, but some of them will feel more comfortable in making it a more visible goal, if not mm -hmm. a traceable one. So I think that's why it becomes such a challenge. Right, right, right. Um, and I love the just, I think there's a lot of power in just being matter of fact, you know, about it and not, not, not making everything such a big deal. <laughs> so. I think there's another one, and, and I, in, in talking with my female co-workers, I think there is also this whole notion of whether we look at things from the lens of scarcity or abundancy. So mm -hmm. if I adopt this scarcity view of the world, I'll think that I'm competing with my female co-workers for a limited amount of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think perversely that is valid for both men and women. 
If I, on the other hand, uh, take more of this abundance view of the world, I think, hey, if I help um, eliminate some of the work practices or policies that disadvantage women more disproportionately, then I'll create more opportunities, not only for them, but for all of us. And I, I think I tend to look at things that way, but I think we've got a lot of work to do as a society to look at things from that perspective. Oh my goodness, I just love that. Thank you for sharing that perspective. What, what can a male ally do on a day-to-day -day basis to encourage and facilitate diversity? Is there anything, you, in some ways you've answered that, but is there anything specific you'd like to add um, yeah, I think um, what I can offer, I think, is an impartial but very passionate voice for gender diversity. Um, so as an example, I, s I mentor several individuals, both male and female, from different levels in the organization, from early career to more seasoned managers. I, and I hear in a, in a safer space of mentorship, things from my female mentees that are, I think, part of partial of why I decided to become an ally. For example, one of them who is a, a more senior manager said that for her to take a different opportunity in a different part of the organization, she felt compelled to go and let her new leader know that she had limitations with work balance and she had to leave at a certain time of the day. So she felt very uncomfortable because uh, no one around her seemed to have similar issues. So that put her at a bit more disadvantage, if you will. So I think by being sympathetic to some of the things that might disadvantage female workers more so than male, I can help shape some of our work practices, whether they're formal or informal, but I can help inform us as a leadership group on how to level the playing field, if you will. So. I think those are some some of the main aspects of becoming an ally. That's uh, another another great answer, Marcelo. You know, and studies, all the research shows. You know, sort of research study after research study has shown that the when employers are able to have policies and approaches that meet those needs that women often have, they're good for men too. And oh, by the way, you know, they're good for multiple generations in the workforce. And so it just yeah. helps with getting the best talent, period, right? <laughs> and I think if one thing that came out of the, the current crisis we live in is that I think we all learned that we can be maybe as efficient, if not as effective, with different working practices, right? So I'm very hopeful that that will help us be far more adaptable, adaptable as we go forward. Uh, yes, yes, I, I agree with that. I think the world of work has changed pretty permanently here. Well, we'll see. It, it, we'll sure. see what happens. <laughs> is, there, is there one characteristic that you believe every leader should possess? Um, here's what I think. I think um, at least is the one that I try to work on the most, other than public speaking. I think uh, every leader needs to be a very active listener. And by that, I don't mean just being in the moment, because I think that's a very foundational part of leadership, uh, um, is to practice understanding 
uh, verbal, nonverbal, and even silent feedback that you get along the way and acting on them. I can remember in times in my career when I failed to do that and I failed to listen to the subtle feedback that I was getting, and that usually got me in trouble. And when conversely, when I start paying attention, I can remember one example when I was in England that I was super excited about pitching an idea that was met with silence. I thought, well, maybe this is just culture. But come to find out, the team was trying to give me feedback in a very nonverbal way of why they thought that my idea wouldn't fly in that organization. So I think I learned over the years to keep working on my very active listening skills. And, and I think that's one characteristic that every leader should try and possess. Mm. Thank you for, for sharing that example. I've heard that referred to as crickets when you <laughs> pitch an idea. I'll <laughs> like it for sure. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the skill that you're constantly working to improve? Other than public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> now, why public speaking? You're doing a great job on this podcast. <laughs> I just have to practice a lot. So I think uh, if I cast my mind back on the one skill that, I, uh, that I've tried to work on uh, is really empathy. Uh, and what I mean by that is from when I started in my first job, back in the mid eighties in the service industry, I had to deploy a lot of empathy to understand what, what my customer wanted, which was very different from what I thought they wanted. And I found myself having to hone in on those skills uh, because my career took a very unusual path, maybe given that I worked in different companies in different continents. I think I had to apply a level of empathy to understand how a particular group of people thought through certain problems and how either culture, be it corporate or even a country culture, would mold how people viewed and reacted to different situations. So I think by understanding that, it allowed me to be adaptable without giving up the core of my principles and, and who I am. So I think in, in one word, empathy is the one that I keep working on. So key to adaptability and certainly leaders of the future um, as our workforce becomes more global and more complex, uh, the, the leaders of the future who master that are certainly going to rise to the top. Is it, so the other side of that, what, what is one mistake that you witness leaders making more frequently than others? Hmm. That's a great question right there. I think I have the advantage with my line of work in purchasing. Uh, over the years, I've interacted with hundreds, literally hundreds of different companies and different leadership styles. And some of them far successful and others less successful. And I thought about this a lot over the years. And I think if there is one trait that leaders of less successful companies displayed, at least in my experience, was they, at some point, they allowed their egos to get in the way a little bit. And um, don't they're not in tune with reality. So I have two of my favorite sayings. One of them is bad news never ages well. And the other is reality will always go out. 
And I think some, uh, some leaders uh, start to believe so much in their intuition or their intelligence, they over a course of time start, stop listening, even, even to the bad news or to reality like it is and start listening a lot more to filtered messages that make their way. Mm. And I think that's when typically we get in trouble. Mm. Mm. Do you, do you, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Do you ever think that there's, you know, when you take psychology 101 in college, uh, we, you learn about defense mechanisms. And I've often wondered, you know, especially as we look at our response to the current pandemic, you know, that is still abroad as we record this, um, you know, denial is a defense mechanism for a reason. <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel like it takes extra effort to break through sort of, especially, you know, when there's a lot of bad news, the disbelief <laughs> that's actually um, going on. So I, I often wonder um, if it's a mixture of um, ego and defense. It could know? be. I think you're exactly right. I'm, I don't have a psychology background, but I think <laughs> it takes also a lot of courage, right? And, and it takes someone being really self-assured or self-aware to uh, surround himself of or herself with people who tell it like it is. Right. And I think when we fail to do that, we start getting into trouble. <laughs> yes, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. Is is so speaking of that, is there a key trader skill that has helped you to get where you are? What an interesting well, career you've had. So how have you done it here? <laughs> it's been interesting. If you ask my wife, and she's she's probably right about this, is sheer luck. Uh, if you're to believe her, I, I don't think that has all to do with it, but I will say that I've been very lucky working with for some incredible leaders along the way, both male and female. So I've been very lucky, but I think, um, uh, you know, going back to the whole point of empathy, I think that is the one that I, that I found myself practicing the most throughout my career. I think I've been proud of having been able to adapt to different circumstances and different cultures. And I, I also remember that when I, I failed to practice it and I, I became a little more self-centered is when I ran into trouble. Of course, mm -hmm. in a long career, you tend to have as many failures almost, you want to have less. <laughs> but I think when I failed to actively uh, be empathetic is when I, I saw myself getting into more trouble than usual. So I'm going to go again with that old concept of empathy, I guess. Great. <clears throat> That's a very interesting uh, framing and answer for that. So, so one final question. Do you have a favorite quote that you'd like to share and why? <laughs> I'll go with one of Michael Jordan that says, earn your leadership every day. I just love it. And I think it's just so <laughs> self-explanatory. I don't want to spoil it trying to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Just says it all. <laughs> Earn your leadership every day. It is inspirational, isn't it? It's uh, and he certainly did. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really great. That's really great. Um gosh, Marcella, thank you so much for joining us today. 
My pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to have been invited to do this. Well, that wraps up our podcast. Please come back to informmichigan.org for more opportunities to meet him and also meet her, a podcast series featuring women of accomplishment, sharing their experiences and insights on leadership. And while you're there, check out the other virtual Inform components, including a growing library of video tips, virtual leadership development programming, and even a series of virtual events. Thank you.